This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast. It's cold in the studio. And we got a guest that's real used to the cold weather. <laughs> um, I've... Went through social and I kept seeing this guy's post, following him, and the guy's just epically killing everything: moose, wolf, um, giant whitetails. I would say um, not just like average animals. I mean, I'm talking top tier. Yeah, absolute giants in the Yukon and uh, and Alberta. I mean, just blown away by what this guy does. I mean, he's a professional guide up there. Um, this is kind of like our late season, so I thought it was cool to, to have a guy from the Yukon who's like used to the snow all the time, what the deer do, and see if that kind of coincides with what we have going down here, uh, how the deer react to cold weather there compared to here. It's got to be like the, a normal day for them up there. Yeah. But uh, excited to dive into this podcast. Uh, we're going to get into the people that make this possible. Um, we're going to start off with the VIP veteran broadhead. Uh, we are going to be at the ATA show at the VIP booth. Uh, come by and check us out. Check out the new four blade. I'm going to be there January 9th, 10th, and 11th. Um, we'll be there with Cindy and a couple other people, right? Yeah, I'm sure um, Jason's going to be there. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dan's going to be there, it sounds I'm excited, like. Jason. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Real fun time. We always have a blast with the VIP family. Um, come by and check out the new combat veteran four blade at ATA show. Um, you got a VIP veteran broadhead shout out. This week's VIP veteran broadhead shout-out is Bruce White. He was in the Coast Guard for six years. Um, he did various missions. And, um, Bruce, we appreciate you um, signing up and doing something that we didn't have the courage to do. 
appreciate you for all your service from uh, all the Whitetail Legacy crew. That's us and the two interns in the back <laughs> and uh, the VIP family. Um, Homie's got a kind of a special announcement. Um, we have partnered with Exodus uh, Trail Cameras. We've been using their trail cameras for two years now. Um, really, really enjoying that product. Um, and we've made a deal to to run some ads to let you guys know what Exodus has going on, keep up with their sales, keep up with any special um, events that they got going. So Homie's going to break down one right now. Yeah, so just like Cody said, the good news there. Also have good news from Exodus to relay to you guys. Um, they have joined in the holiday giving season by creating a limited edition laser engraved 2% con- for conservation lift 2. Um, on top of them of donating 1% of revenue and 1% of their annual to nonprofits, they'll be increasing their donations for this limited edition camera and will donate 10% gross of the gross sale. Um, favorite part of this campaign is that they'll have a drop down on the camera listing over on their website, Exodus outdoorgear.com and you'll be able to select what nonprofit they'll donate in honor of your camera not just you know not they pick it for you you get to pick it yourself um, some other some of the available nonprofits include the trcp the qdma the nwtf and the pope and young club so that's very cool yeah that's super awesome yeah. um just simply head to their website december 13th at 9 a.m eastern and find the limited edition camera under the camera tab. Um, select a nonprofit that you would like to donate to, and you will receive your Exodus Lift 2 backed by their five year no BS warranty. Um, extremely limited quantity, so you got to be there right at 9 a.m. and uh, get this camera on their website. I think it's cool. Um, right at the Christmas season, so do a little giving. Um, anybody that's been wanting to lift to, uh, this is a perfect time to get one, and then uh, you can talk your wife into getting you a Christmas present early, and then say, "Hey, honey, it's we're you know it's for donation too, so we're giving also." You right. Know what I mean, um, um, one other little secret here that I was holding on to, um, I did get word that they'll be giving one away. The details for that can be found on their podcast, Trail Camera Radio, under the episode they did with Jared Frazier with Two Percent for Conservation. Oh, nice. So they're going to be giving a, another Lift 2 away? Yes. Lift 2 is an absolute solid camera. So Very solid. So we'll be trying to get into that. All right, let's get into uh, Ingram's outdoor obsession. Um, Ingram said that the shotgun season was slow for him, and that coincides with everything that we have heard. Yep. Um, so he did get a few bucks in. Still, literally everybody that I know that killed a deer took it there. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, honestly, right. like everybody's seeing what we got doing. They're still looking at the prices. They're like, man, this guy's got it going on full time. Um, so that just goes to show you there's a lot of people that transitioned over. And uh, a lot of people got it done in October this year. So, yeah, super cool. Let's get into ECW calls. Um, big news out of ECW. Uh, the archery range has been approved by the city. Yes. So potentially Roseville, Illinois will have a 3D archery range. Um, coming soon in the near future. So uh, shout out to ECW for expanding their uh, empire in uh, Roseville and uh, continuing to make calls. Um, Sitlock, all your uh, all your hunting camo needs, all your Oz product needs, check them out, Sitlock.com, Oz on Instagram. Um, great product. We love using them. Still rocking them. Cold out there. <laughs> Triple suiting it up. All right, let's get in the show. All right, we got Dom Jackson on the line from way up in Alberta. What's the weather like up there? Cold. 
That's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like 14 here with 20 mile an hour wind, and it's cold as hell. I'm not I'm not ready. I've been talking all year. I'm like I'm not ready for the cold. It's late December, and I'm I'm still not ready. So I couldn't imagine up there. So. Yeah, no, actually saying that it's not that bad considering what it should be this time of year, but whatever, it's still cold. You know, after deer season, you just want to leave this place. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. I would go there during deer season. We were doing a little pre-talk, and, and the, the bucks that you're putting yeah. down and uh, and the outfitters up there putting down, just unbelievable. That double drop time chocolate antlered buck is like what dreams are made of for anybody, so unbelievable oh, yeah a lot of a lot of time went into that deer oh, i couldn't imagine when five you got, years and you got the trail camp pictures you like <laughs> shit a brick you're like okay was that real did i really just see that i gotta go back but um, yeah when he was a four-year-old buck i was shitting bricks <laughs> oh yeah i could i could guarantee you that so yeah, yeah i think he only had three inch drops at that time so <laughs> only, only, only three inch, <laughs> inch doubles no big yeah, deal yeah plural yeah but all right man well we appreciate yeah. you coming on we wanted to have you on um like you said you're killing giant bucks we know literally nothing about alberta but we want to kind of relate it to late season this is like our late season here snow really cold temps so we thought what is a better guy to talk to than someone that like that is their normal hunting a lot of snow on the ground cold temps um you got to have some knowledge of what white-tailed deer do um and when it's like that um me and homie we were talking we've never had a lot of success late season so i'm excited to pick your brain talk whitetails and uh and dive into this so uh, give the listeners like a brief yeah. introduction of who you are where you're exactly from and what you do for a living uh my name is dominic jackson i'm from northeastern alberta and i've been outfitting here for now six years been in the guiding industry for going on my 11th season now and yeah that basically sums it up i've lived in my outfitting area my entire life so kind of worked out that i was able to take over the business in the area that's essentially my backyard so that worked out perfect something i've always strived for yeah you can't beat that I was no, like just having that no, familiarity with with the ground is is key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely the ground, uh, landowners especially. That's that's a big one. Um, and then yeah, just just being able to grow up in the area, knowing the road access and just the logistics of the area is really key. So yeah, I actually have a partner, Rob Brown, with Timber King and. He came into the area, and that's when we partnered up. Is when he came into to the area, and uh, he said it was just it had to be done that we partnered up, and it it's been awesome, and I'll never look back. So, well, you guys got something figured <laughs> out for sure. Um, first first question I want to kind of throw at you, breaking down these tactics, is um, your social feed, um, Alberta Darkhorn, is full of just absolute mega giant bucks on trail cam. Um, a lot of what's snow yeah. on the ground. Um, how are you um, deploying these trail cams? And what is some of the, the strategies that you've learned to make them last longer in these cold temps? Because we struggle with that. Even with running lithium batteries, it doesn't seem like the cold is, it's, they struggle in the cold. So is there any tips or tactics that you could just talk about running trail cameras? I've played around with a lot of trail cameras, and I'm going to give someone a shout out here exodus cameras um they're fairly new i think they're newer five years ago 
if that. Um, they like I've I've used so many different cameras and our temperatures, and there's good camera companies out there, and I'm sure they're all good. But you have to it has to be able to work in this climate up here. And Exodus cameras um, are hands down the best camera I've ever used. I'll give you one example. They sent me a free one to trial, um, given my situation and where I'm at. And I stuck it out October, I think it was October 17th, 15th, anyways, mid-October. And I left it out there till March. So that, And it was a hard winter, like very cold winter. It took 4,700 pictures, and it still had 30% battery left nice. after 4,700. I went, I went there in the spring and got it, and it was still going. Wow. So Exodus cameras and uh, Bushnell cameras, actually. Um, I, I use both of those, and they're hands down the best cameras for my personal preference. So. Yeah, it's funny. We we just partnered with Exodus recently for the show. We've we've been having some huge success running their cams, and that's pretty much like the oh, only no solid ones that we have. Like you can hang it, and like you go to the other ones, you're like, this might be working, <laughs> it might not be working. But Exodus, you're always like, as long yeah. as no one messes with the SD card and reset that security pin, yeah. it is solid. I was, yeah. I was I was just writing yeah. a blog here yeah. a couple weeks ago. And um, was just going through pictures for it and trying to find some content that, or finding some deer that we had on cam. And literally all the big deer we have are on the yeah. Exodus cams because we put them in the money spots because we know it's going to be solid. Yeah. We can get all the accurate intel that comes on the data yeah. strip and it's all going to be right there. We know it's going to be right and it's just going to be out there doing what it's supposed to be doing. Yeah, you can depend on it. So that's that's funny that you said that. I mean, I know up there in the cold, we've had some pretty good luck with brownings. Yeah. Um, too, but, um, mm-hmm. I mean, the cold yeah. weather is hard on electronics. I mean, you, you have your phone outside for five minutes trying to oh, do a dude, text message. You, you lost 30% battery. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. That's when you just use them hand warmers and basically tape them to the backside of your phone. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine I'd have to have a backpack full of hand warmers if I was up there. Toe warmers out the ass, yeah. man. <laughs> but, uh, have you had yeah. more success with lithium batteries or are you running, trying to run regular batteries or what are you doing with that? Honestly, I, I, lithium batteries, um, I, I haven't played around with them lots. I know they work, um, for the, the few times I've used them, but I've been running uh, Energizer Industrial batteries. They're they're meant for working out in whatever kind of temperatures, varying various temperatures, I guess. And uh, you know, the price point is right for what we're doing, right? You sh- like I I tend to check my cameras even after the season once a month still, so I'm still on top of it. But they they do last. Like I could I could probably leave an Exodus camera out there with the, the Energizer Industrials for a couple months and not be worried about it dying, unless it was drastically cold. Then I'd probably go hit it up in a couple weeks. But they they do last. Like, it's not a, it's not a big worry. So lithium, it's just, it, they're so expensive, and the number of cameras we're running, it, it would break the bank for me. <laughs> so Yeah, I can imagine the number of cameras that you're running. I mean, I bet you the ground up there is so vast. Um, that- yeah. That might yeah, be something we can kind of transition into. So when you're placing these cameras, um, it's cold weather, a lot of snow on the ground. Where are you placing these cameras to get the pictures of the bucks that you are getting? Uh, it, again, that all depends on the time of year. So uh, August, I tend to lay down on mineral sites. Alberta, it's it's illegal to bait, hunt over bait. 
um, but in the early season you could you could put down some attractants right just to get pictures so I use a lot of mineral and I find that I'm helping out the deer those early seasons when they need that mineral and nutrients to pump out the horn so I, I invest a lot into salt and trace minerals and then I just I place them in high traffic areas where I know where I have the history of a lot of deer moving through and they'll they'll find it they'll hit it wherever even if I'm whatever thousand yards off from the main activity I'll still get them over to that area and then we transition into scrape lines and rub lines in October and then after that when the snow hits the ground we get to really see where the deer are moving Um, I try to target heavy traffic trails you know even if the does are moving across them wherever there's does there's going to be bucks following they're going to abandon their scrapes eventually and they're just going to be chasing does so they will usually have a a trail that they'll use consistently year after year i found um obviously if there's rubs down them and scrapes down them then it's a trail that they'll use for their entire life right yeah that being said the double drop sign is is a prime example he was killed on the same trail that he used for the past five years that we've known about him wow incredible so that's really cool that's something me and homie talked about you know when you get that snow you can go out there and scout for that fresh sign and you can see that's why i keep telling you about the public police i'm like Mm -hmm. when it snows well you'll know exactly what the deer are doing because there's just such a heavy trail and that'd be perfect you know store some cams up Wait for the snow, go scout, boom, place them. Now you know that you're on the main trails, whether you said it's a buck trail or a doe trail. You still know you're on one of those main traffic trails to catch that movement on cam. So that's a good tip. Yeah, 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 exactly. And a lot of a lot of people like don't know this too. Like that, you know, a deer, one of its strongest glands that's not traceable to the human nose is through their hooves right so that's why deer use the same trail consistently they have a scent that they release from the glands in their their hooves and that's why that they'll tend a buck will tend to walk with his nose down as he's scenting the that doe right yeah that's one thing that a lot of people don't know you know a deer has nine different glands uh, i can't name them off the top of my head but one of the strongest smelling one to a deer is the set the glands from their hooves so yeah, that makes sense. I mean, so if you find if you find a pack down trail, then yeah, they're they're going to consistently use it. And if you have a target buck in the area, that's where you need to be within shooting distance. Yeah, he knows all the does are using it consistently and not yeah. getting shot, not getting bumped. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, exactly. So so yeah, when sure. you're when you're up there, you, you you got the heavy snow, the cold temps. Um, you're running these trail cameras. Is there any ag where you're at at all, or is it all just heavy, dense timber? No, we we are pretty much on the fringe country. Fringe country meaning to us uh, agriculture meets the heavy bush. Um, and I'm talking really heavy bush. Like, you could go hundreds of miles, and then you'll hit the Northwest Territories. Oh, <laughs> and there man. won't be a community <laughs> in between, right? That's epic um, stuff. Yeah. I'm saying that I don't operate in that heavy bush. Like I operate right on the edge of it, and I get I get to hunt a little bit of it. But that's where we need to be. Um, the hardest time for these deer is now until March, right? So they need like those bush deer. Yes, a lot of people kill a lot of big deer in the big bush, but you get a hard winter. They they have nothing to rely on. Whereas our deer, they 
you know they could hammer the the grain bins in a farmer's yard for all they care right yeah. or wherever like they something that the har- the farmers didn't harvest so they Same have thing something for to us fall back here. on yeah. but they <clears throat> yeah they you know it's these winters they can be hard on these deer but we've been fortunate um this will be the fifth season if we get another mild winter um you know we'll have another solid year or whatever going in it was it was a bad season 2000 i think it was 2008 was the hardest winter we ever had in alberta and it 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 took a toll on our deer hard like they're saying like anywhere from 40 to 50 percent of our deer were gone so wow from winter kill wow that's that's yeah and i I believe and i believe it like i i I seen it firsthand so like it's tough so you're hunting kind of the kind of the same area we are um not not the same area but kind of the same <laughs> structural area like we're hunting on the fringe of timber and ag so how far are mm-hmm. you seeing that these bucks are bedding late season from the food source late season like after our rut talking right now december well even mid-december because some of our deer are still rutting like i was seeing bucks chasing does the other day um just because i think the doe number is higher than normal um, so saying that late season, I can't see them being farther than two miles out from their main food source. Um, even during the rut, the one thing, again, this is going from personal experience on these whitetail and what I'm finding. I used to think it was a three mile radius, but I honestly think that's too far for our deer. Um, that double drop tine and then the big one we killed three years ago, the 217, um, those deer taught me a lot about how they, how they move and how these big bucks move. And it was within a two-mile radius from the original picture, the 217, the triple drop tine. I don't know if you've seen that one, um, but uh, I got a picture of him in August, and we killed him just under two miles away. And then the double drop time, like I said, five years went into him. I never got one picture of him outside 160 acres. All the pictures were within that one. Whether I was missing him somewhere or not, but I put a lot of scouting into that deer. And he was always seen or a picture was taken of him in the 160-acre section. And he was killed on that 160-acre section. So... Who, who's to say that he, like, why did he have to leave? If he had all his food source there and plenty of does, what was the point of him traveling and cruising, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, we've seen that I with some giants. They just, yeah, they just exactly. seem to find a little piece that they feel secure in and maybe bounce around a little bit off of it, but don't ever leave that piece. And uh, it's like if you're hunting the edge of it, you might only get like three four trail cam pictures of them, and you're like, man, this deer is just gone. But then you realize – He's there the whole time. He's just right, you know, just right on the neighbors. Like a buck this year, we got a picture of in October. We got one set of trail cam pictures of him. Thought he was gone, and mm-hmm. then the neighbor shot him. Three hundred yards. Three hundred yards yeah. south of us. You know what I mean? So we we're like, wow, this deer <laughs> we thought was gone. You know, and he was just right there. So, yeah. but we have yeah. even with even with the double drop time too. Like the day he was shot. Um, he was shot on the consistent trail that he's always been seen on. So of course I have a camera on there. I didn't get a picture of him. 
so with these cameras, I, I tell all my clients too, when they're booking and they're inquiring about pictures and they're like, Oh, you got a picture of that deer in velvet. Like, is he still alive? And it's like, I, I, I don't know. He probably is, but you can't live on these pictures. You can't, you know, just have tunnel vision when it comes to trail cameras, you got to be able to hunt still. So yeah, saying that, like, this was a, this was a prime example. Five years went into this deer, and I really look back on all the content I have of them. I maybe have six pictures of them. <laughs> it's like that's all I have in the five years, and then of course a few sightings. He was passed on in 2017, which worked out in our favor. But other than that, or sorry, 2018, he was passed on last year. Other than that, that's all I have. So. Yeah, that's incredible. We we got kind of the same story where not a lot of pictures, and then we end up killing them, and it's like a freak. You're like, man, this this shouldn't happen, you know. But like you said, that deer was there. Um, it's hard to catch them on, you know, that one trail camera. So that being said, this time of year, if you're seeing there's a lot of activity on a food source or something, you put a camera on there, and you don't get a picture of a buck right off the bat, you might not want to completely erase that food source from your mind because there might be something using it on the back door or accessing it from a different direction yeah. that you don't even know um and that's still there and still a killable deer yeah exactly all right well yeah. i i, I want to break down the the tactics for late season but i really want to hear about this double drop time <laughs> buck so um what time of the year did you end up killing that deer it was the 16th of November, and I don't remember that date for the day we killed him, because that was the day my first child was born, too. Oh, nice. I don't know if you guys did, but yeah, I just had my first kid, and he was born on the same day we killed that deer. Wow. <laughs> epic. That's an epic day. Pretty amazing case. Yeah. I got, we got kids, and I got one October 1st. I'm like, I'll never forget that. Opening day, bow season? Got it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, easy yeah. to remember, That's but... That kid's in it for the long run now. He was born on the day the big buck was killed. Oh, yeah. It's kind of cool. The hunter's actually getting us a replica made to give to Jack, my son. Oh, that's epic. That's super awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. Can't beat that. So. No, no. So you you killed him mid. Is that pretty much your guys' rut? Yeah, that's, uh, that's what I, I would call the rut, yeah. Okay, that's pretty Great. much our rut down yeah. here. It's pretty much the yeah. same time coincided with our. It's always funny to understand, like, the guys down, like, Georgia and stuff. They're like, oh, the rut's about ready to kick in. Mm -hmm. I'm like, man, the rut's been gone. It's over. <laughs> but it, it's cool that, you know, we're kind of similar in the in that instinct. But so you had five years history with him. He's passed in 2018. And 2000, this year, he was killed on the same trail that you had pictures of him for five years or encounters. Man, that's epic, man. That yeah. that that deer is it super incredible. Um, I mean, are all the bucks up there that that dark horn, like chocolate yeah, to them? I you know it's a number of things. Whether it's just the way they pump out their horn and their antler, I guess I should say, or whatever. But just the, I guess the trees they rub on. We got the spruce, the tamarack, and the black poplar, and all that. So it's a number of things, and they just they rut hard i guess i don't know what it is why they got the dark horn but that's what we're known for and that's why i chose the name <laughs> yeah perfect so. name man exact real perfect name for your your uh 
your Instagram with all those absolute giant. I mean, you guys are killing wolves and moose and sheep. I'm like, man, these guys got it going on. The, like, literally epic stuff for us is like your everyday deal. <laughs> like, I just wouldn't go. I'm just going to go yeah. kill moose, you know. That's no big deal. But that's like an epic 10-year feat to right. accomplish for us. But uh, Yeah, that was another thing. Our moose season was our like our November moose season, which pairs up with our whitetail season, was probably one of the best ones perhaps. So this this past season was the best moose season we'll ever have for a late season moose. Like it, it's been hard for us and the clients, uh, they just weren't getting it done. They didn't know what to expect on a late season moose hunt. Like it's not they're not running. You know, you got to take whatever opportunity you're given for shot a shot opportunity, right? So um, you know, two years ago, I yeah, sorry, it was not this season, but last season I had a a lady from Belgium. She was 71 years old and, you know, elderly too. And just there was a language barrier there. And we had a hell of a time trying to kill her a moose. Oh, I could only imagine. She probably, she, probably, she probably had the best luck out of anyone I'll ever guide for a moose. The first morning, I take her out and I have a translator slash booking agent. He was this guy from France, really great guy. And he, he booked, he booked her on this hunt, and I, I told him, like, you know, well, first of all, he booked her on a rut hunt in the early season, and I was like, okay, that's fine, yeah, we could get a moose in nice and close, call it in, and she goes, and then he tells me her age, and I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, no, like, this, I don't know if this could be done. Like, can she hike? And he, he gets back to me, he says, well, she could maybe do a mile. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> no, sorry, can't do it. I said, uh I was like, we're going to have to roll her over to our November season. And he goes, okay, that's fine. And he says, how does that go? I said, basically hunting out of a stand, driving around in a truck, glassing fields, first light, last light, or whatever, midday, or doing drives, essentially, where we just push them out of the bush. But that that's tough, too, because, you know, even a seasoned hunter can't even make that quick shot. Like, you got a full moose running out of the bush on a little cut line that's only... 15 feet wide like you got one second to shoot <laughs> so, yeah and we're so, not yeah, talking like that like when i think a lot of people think moose they think like ah oh, decent moose we're talking like <laughs> ex- like insanely g- huge moose man when it's in that boat i'm yeah, like that boat yeah. is sinking there ain't no way that boat is getting yeah. out there <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've pushed the limits on the safety precautions on them boats too, i would say so. <laughs> i would say for sure i'm like i don't even know yeah. how they got it in that boat for one i don't know how they're getting it out oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of a lot of swearing and grunting and just you know taking breaks. <laughs> <laughs> I but yeah, yeah, no back to back to Joelle, the the woman that booked the moose hunt. So she came and I took her out because I was like, whatever, I'll take her. Out. This this will be cool. If we get her a moose, it'll be awesome. This you know first the furthest hunter we've ever booked from. Like she was from Belgium and you know an elderly lady. It'll be cool. And I take her out the first morning. I'm driving her to the stand, and Frank, the translator's in the back seat. And I tell him, I said, "We'll go check this field over here, and you know it's usually pretty good. Like there's usually moose in there. That if there's one, you know, tell Joelle just to get out, get on the shooting sticks, and hopefully blow it over." <laughs> and she, he goes, "Okay." So he translates, and sure as shit, we pull into the field, and here's one of the biggest bulls I've ever seen 
in the area growing up there, living there my entire life. And I'm like, oh, my fucking God. Like, so I tell Joelle, I'm like, get out, get out, get out, get out, and shoot that moose, shoot that moose. And she jumps out. She gets in the, the gun, and I'm like, holy shit, like, this is going to happen. And nothing, nothing. And I look at Frank, and I'm like, what is she doing? And he, he says something to her, and she goes too far, too far. And I'm like, no, no, no. And I arranged it. I'm like, it's 180 yards. You got to shoot. And I tell Frank, I'm like, Frank, it's 180 yards. It's a huge animal. I said, she's got eight feet of playroom there. Like, tell her to shoot. <laughs> and she, she goes, no, too far. Oh, just a second. I, I need an eight-foot buffer. That's, yeah, no, that's what I need. That's I need, If I had eight-foot, either way, I'd be solid. Real solid. Yeah. Yeah, so anyways, yeah, she, she whatever, doesn't shoot. I watched this moose run out of our lives, and I'm like, holy shit, that sucks. And, yeah, so anyways, I put her in the stand, and I get them all set up, and I tell Frank, you know, text me during the day if you could text. Um, what's going on? And he goes, okay. And then next thing you know, uh, I get a text around midday. He goes, we missed a moose. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? So I go in there and I'm like, I got to check if you actually shot it. So I go check for blood, nothing. And he goes, yeah, we, we seen a moose and no, it, she shot and we missed. And I'm like, holy hell. Like and it was close too. It was, it's probably 80 yards. If that, <laughs> so then I picked them up at the end of the day, and then um, we go for a drive. Next thing you know, sure shit, one of the fields down the road, there's another bull moose, another, another shooter moose. She gets in the sticks, doesn't shoot. She can't find it in the scope. <laughs> so, that, that was my first day with Joel, and I'm like, I Man, don't this is going to happen. Three shooters in the same day. <laughs> I, I I could probably get it done yeah. on that. I mean, if I had three shots, eight eight by eight, I'm pretty, pretty solid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she had three moose in front of her. She missed one. She didn't shoot at two. Like it was a it was a bad day. <laughs> For so, sure. Anyways, the hunt went on. She was on a moose whitetail combo. She ended up shooting on a whitetail. Missed that too. And um anyways we brought her back because we we're like man we just really want to get this woman a moose so we brought her back and she ended up killing one in the rut in the early season my nice. partner he operates rut hunts in uh northwestern alberta and uh yeah he he booked her and he's like we'll get her a moose so like, she ended up getting a moose it was it was a good one it was wasn't that big but she was happy with it and that's all that matters to us nice so. well props to you guys for putting in the work to yeah to make sure everybody's satisfied, you know, whatever it takes to get it done. But I know on that third moose, yeah. I'd have been like, all right, we got to have a serious translation <laughs> talk here. <laughs> Cause this is, this ain't working out. But. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I sat them down after the first day and I explained them like, these are giant animals. <laughs> I'm like, you have a lot of room for error there. The lungs so are the size of a human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just. I just told her. I'm like, fire away. We'll figure it out after. <laughs> like, so, so yeah. All right. Well, I know you got. That you was, guys uh, are doing a lot of stand hunting. That's most of uh, what you guys attempt to do up there. So, is there any tips that you could do or tell a guy like me um, who's hunting these cold weathers to to make you set in the stand longer? Uh. 
I guess, um, geez, there's a lot of products on the market that we've played around with over the years, and I've kind of narrowed it down to you know, the, the few. I have a, guy, a couple guys that are running the IWAM suits. Um, they, they don't have any complaints about them. The guys that really praise the one product, uh, the heater body suits, they say they're, they're the deal. Like, that's the ticket. That's the way to sit in these cold conditions. Um, the thing about the heater body suits, and they're saying they're fine, but with our gear, you got to be you got to be quick. Like you got literally, I always narrow it down to three seconds because we're hunting cut lines, we're hunting the big bush, and so all we have is cut lines. So you you know a buck can cruise across them in two seconds, if that, right? So if you have enough time to jump out of a heater body suit, shoulder a gun, aim and shoot, then by all means go ahead. But Saying that, uh, I don't know. Like it's tough. You know, you don't ever want to tell someone buy a heater bodysuit. That's what you need to hunt these deer, and then they end up getting caught in the zipper when they're trying yeah. to shoot a deer. So there's a there's a few like Ravenware. That's what been one of the long longest running companies that's been known to produce for our our hunts here. Um, I think there's King of the Mountain. There's another one that a lot of my clients wear. Um, Cabela's makes a good lineup product, uh, the Cabela Stand Hunter. That's probably one of the better ones. I've personally worn that, and like they're awesome. Um, and whatever boot blankets you could find, like you're sitting on our stands are metal stands, right? So you do attract a lot of cold from the stand itself. If your feet are right on them, your boots are right on on them. Even that rubber gets cold, and then your feet your soles get cold or whatever. So I always say to guys, like if you could find like those icebreaker boot blankets, or if you could find Ravenware boot blankets, even on or whatever, buy them. Uh, yeah. So we run those Arctic shield. We run those Arctic yeah, shield boot yeah, covers yeah. and those are real. There's a, those are a game changer to be yeah. honest with you. Like, yeah, no, they make the, they make the difference. Like, and that's like a lot of guys look at them and go, put your whole boot in there and they're how does that even help? And it does. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just like another barrier. Yeah. Another cold, barrier. Right? It, it's got some air in there so to create heat on friction. Yeah. And I think it just gets your, actually comes out with those, came out with those heated insoles and they're awesome too. I've used those as long as you can change, you, you know, you buy an extra battery or however they're selling them nowadays or whatever, you buy an extra battery and you switch them out because they only last on, if you're cranking them on high heat all day. They'll only go for five hours or whatever. So, a lot of my guys are sitting on stand for ten hours a day. So it's a long day. Yeah, man, that is, that is long day in the cold yeah. weather. Just gotta have something to take that edge off. You yeah. know what I mean? Just to make it more tolerable. I like to go in, get cold, and then take the edge off. Like yeah. once your feet get cold, then you put the wraps on. You're like, oh, it's not warm, but you're like, oh, this is way better than I, what I had. Yeah. <laughs> so more of a yeah, mind it's all game. After yeah, that, it's all right? mind. Yeah, it's a mind game. You're like, your feet are still cold, but you're like, they're like way better than they were ten minutes ago. So I'm pretty. I can make it another couple hours now for sure that's what we always do like we wear our boots in and then we'd always pack a second pair of socks to put on yep. in the stand because when you put that second set of socks on it takes a while for that cold to eat through well that in my like my feet just sweat mm -hmm. pretty bad so i'm trying to have less moisture on my feet when i first get in there and then i have that extra layer of sock to get in there if it does get wet i have a dry sock to put on and then um 
like you said, then we have the boot covers to get it up off the stand yeah. and stuff. That's like our my main thing. My I got it. My core stays warm. I found that if you take the toe warmers and rip them off and put them on your first layer, like basically underneath your armpits, like on your t-shirt, and then zip up all your layers, that core is you're so warm core wise. The rest of your body is like it feels all right. Um, the only thing that gets cold is my toes, man. I got the weakest toes I've ever known to any human being besides Terry Watson. <laughs> Shout out him. Besides that guy. But anyways, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, I just – and we that's our system. Those, so you tried those thermocells? No, I haven't tried the heated insoles. I have not. I think that oh, would be okay, – yeah. we no. were talking about if you could find something that would heat your whole foot, like Dude. the foot warmer, that would be real nice yeah. instead of just a toe warmer. But – well, it's funny you say that. Like, just yesterday, I've been looking at these, like, heated sock brands and all that kind of stuff, and I'm like, man, that's probably the way to go. Yeah, if you could <laughs> like, if you could get battery. your whole foot warm, I think, like you said, just that something like your feet get cold, if you could turn it on and just take a little bit of the edge off to get your mental game in, like, okay, this is way better than it was. I can last now. <laughs> it's no big deal. I got yeah. Even if you think that you're doing something to help, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not really helping a lot, but you're like, oh, yeah, I got the heater on. Now I'm good. <laughs> it just yeah, it helps mentally. And you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, can, I, I know some late-season hunts, and I can only imagine, like, all December. Like, you're in there for two hours. You're like, yep, this is terrible. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> There's no way a deer's moving in this cold yeah. weather. Um, I might as well pack yeah. it up so now. We had, a couple, we, had a, <laughs> we had a couple guys shoot on first, you know, the first day of their hunt, and like good deer, but you know, not something they were after or a target deer in the area. And I'm like, you got cold. <laughs> oh yeah that didn't mean like, oh, that's a pretty solid deer out there. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> so. Um, and I'd be the first to say I got cold. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, be like, oh yeah, I had to get down, I had to get down. But uh, um, yeah. one thing I want to ask you: Do you ever see a temperature? And your deer might be more tolerant for us. Do you see a temperature or like a high wind scenario where deer just do not move up there? Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm talking in Celsius. You'll have to do the conversion. I'm not sure how to do that. But I always, I always say, like, anything colder than minus 20 Celsius here, which is, like, really cold, like, the, the deer aren't moving. There's nothing that will get those deer up like, hell, we don't even want to move, right? So, like, why, why would a deer move? They're going to bed down wherever they're at and conserve whatever energy and heat they have. Um, as for wind, I always find that it doesn't really affect, unless it's, like, terribly, like, you know, hurricane wind forces or whatever, but we don't really get those here in Alberta, or our part of Alberta, I should say. We don't get any bad wind storms or anything like that. So to, to have wind in our area, um, it's pretty much, it's always on the average, whatever the average speeds are. So it doesn't affect our deer hunt. Um, I would say definitely really cold temperatures affect um, our deer movement. So I did even, my even Google. more so... I did oh, my Google uh, calculator thing here, and negative uh, four degrees Fahrenheit is negative twenty degrees Celsius. So we could agree with that. We feel like if it hits anything negative, like if it's five degrees, we still see deer movement. Mm-hmm. But if it's anything negative, 
Like when me and you were going to work, it was like real temp negative fifteen. Oh yeah, there wasn't even a bird. Like no. everything was dead <laughs> at that point. We were, we, me and homie yeah. were talking like pretty much all our deer are dead right now. Everything's we have no idea how they survived um, and put on antler growth. You know what I mean? So that would be pretty close to us. We think anything past zero is just too cold. I mean, you can't last unless you have the best gear. I mean, you're not lasting very long, and then. Like us, it's bow season only. You have to draw your bow. And like last season, remember I was hunting? You were like, you should probably draw your yeah, bow. Yeah, I was like, it your was, bow might just snap. It was so cold. Homie's like, you should probably just draw your bow to make sure you could draw. I'm like, that's probably a good idea because <laughs> it is so cold out. And, you know, you don't see the movement that you do. Um, like, you know, we. I feel like 15 degrees, like a good 10 to 15 degree that's your high. Like, I feel like that's when you get that really good solid movement yeah. with some snow or snow coming. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Do you see a difference in powdery snow and like a hard frozen snow for movement or it, does that make a difference? Uh, I don't think it really necessarily makes a difference during the rut. Uh, it definitely makes a difference um, in the winter months, like post rut and after season. Um, I will say this going back on winter kills for our deer, the hardest thing on our deer is the snow. It's not the cold. They could, they could withstand the cold. They've lived their, their entire life. This species of animal or whatever, white-tailed deer in Alberta have been able to withstand our winters for years past. It's the snow that kills them. And those years that we had those major winter kills, we had, you know, three to four feet of snow in the fields and there was no deer trails anywhere like so which tells you the, these deer are bedding down and they're just slowly dying and they can't get to their food source whatever it may be hell it could just be grass out there whatever it is right so that's what kills our deer is the, the snow so the hard crusty snow definitely that's that's what slows down the deer movement in the later season as for the during the rut i i can't i don't see it's slowing down our deer it definitely funnels them and pinches them into an easier target i will say that <laughs> you know we, we we get a bunch of snow in november and i haven't seen that in years like it's been a long time since we got a real good dump of snow for november but uh when i used to guide for the previous outfitter like that was the normal guiding in deep snow like the point where you know, our four-wheelers sometimes weren't cutting it and we had to switch to snow machines, which, like, I haven't been able to do in years. But saying that, um, the deer definitely tend to stick to one trail. And why wouldn't they? You know, another animal packs down the snow. Why wouldn't they just walk on that same trail? Yeah, that's a good so, point. We, we've noticed that here is uh, if we get a soft, powdery snow, I feel like they can still browse in the timber. Um, they can still get to acorns. Um, you know, um, get to some kind of grass or something, but it feels like when that snow gets frozen and they have to dig through it, even the turkeys, you know, you go to an ag field where there's like standing beans or corn, that's when they're going to absolutely hammer those because they don't have to dig through that frozen snow and they have something still standing. Um, does Alberta let you guys like plant any food plots or anything like that up there? Uh, no, a lot of guys don't get into it because there's like a fine line between hunting over bait. So there's not a lot of people that do food plots. Um, 
but saying that there's plenty of people that will kill a deer standing in a field eating alfalfa. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It's just, one of those things. Like the farmer's also a hunter and he couldn't get to that particular. Ah, can't get to this alfalfa. <laughs> too <Yeah>. wet. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel what you're saying. I can see that happening <laughs> so, to us. If, you know, if a guy's couldn't bait around here, they'd be like, ah, the combine, or couldn't plant food plots. They'd be like, the combine just could not get to these beans. I don't know why. Specifically yeah. an acre right in this little pocket of timber, but I couldn't get there. Um, be guys like dropping trees on the road, like ah, tree here, can't do it. <laughs> yeah, that was supposed to be firewood. I yeah, guess I'll get it next. Year. Yeah, I'll get it next year. <laughs> I, I was wondering how, like, how much fat your deer have on them. Like, is it like a normal amount, or I, I know you've probably just been up there, and we've just been down here, so we can't really, like, you know, evaluate where it is everywhere else. But I just feel like, you know with the temps up there that you guys have and the snow that, you know, how much fat is on these deer? Uh, that, that's another thing too. Like it all depends on the time of year you kill them. Like you'll see like our bucks, it's, it's kind of cool. Like if you have bucks hanging in the, the meat shed from early, like the early part of November to the late part of November, it could be like a difference of only 10 days. The, you know, the, the the buck that was killed 10 days later might not have any fat on them. Like, literally, there won't be any white on him. So they, they, they really rut hard here. Like, it's just one of those things. And as for the depth, I, I wouldn't ha- even have a clue on how much fat they actually have on them or whatever. But they, they're big deer. Like, and they, all my clients that come from the States, they, you know, when they see one of our Alberta deer, like, just everything about it is big. Their bodies are just huge. What's, not, what's know, an it, average? It an average? Yeah, what's weight? an average weight uh, for like a mature buck there? Oh, 350 pounds. Yeah, that's like an absolute monster <laughs> down here. You know what I mean? Like an absolute behemoth. Oh, yeah. No. Like I, I've, I've personally guided a couple deer that one of them I two of us could not lift on a four-wheeler. And I remember thinking, like, when I walked up to that buck, like, it was so long and so big. Like, I remember thinking, holy shit, like, I don't know if we could lift this one. And, like, you know, I got whatever stupid technique I have for loading deer on a four-wheeler, but, like, I remember we could not lift that one at all on the four-wheeler. And I ended up having to load it like I loaded black bears back in the day. I drove I drove my four-wheeler up a tree and put it on the back end and then rolled the deer up to the back rack, strapped it down, and then pulled the four-wheeler <laughs> off the tree. That's an epic <laughs> tip, man. <laughs> Whatever it so, takes. Yeah, if you ever get a deer that you can't load, just drive it up a tree so it's standing on end, strap it Homie, to the rack, and then drive the dodge the straight up a tree, <laughs> get the tailgate angled right down. I'll just roll it up there. We'll be good to go. If I shoot a deer that big, I'm going to be in the bush before we even have to get it out of the Homie's field. Homie's going to be like three miles up in the bush. He'd be like, I just shot I just shot one. Oh, yeah. I, I remember my hunter, he was just like all over the place. Like I drove this thing up the tree, standing on the back rack. I ended up, the quad was standing on end. I was standing on my feet, luckily, and rolled the deer up. And he was getting in there with all, you know, helping wherever he could. We strapped it and I pull it off the tree and he goes, Holy shit! Why didn't I video that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Oh fuck, sorry, man." Like, I didn't, 
I'd have been like, this guy has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> At first, I'd be like, all right, this guy has lost it. Um, I'm never getting this deer out. I'm freezing to death right now. <laughs> At the end, I'd be like, all right, this guy knows what he's doing. I'm just going to be quiet. Well, he he was sitting pretty good. So, like, the funny story about that guy is, I forget where he was from, but it was a while ago. And uh, he was one of my, he was my very first client I ever booked as an outfitter. His name was Mark Schaff. And I remember him and his dad booked with me. And this is when I was small time. I was only running four hunters. And they were the first two to come into camp. And I, I, the day before they showed up, I was scouting an area. And I found this area with fresh snow and it was just hammered with deer. Like there was tracks everywhere. And I was like, holy shit, like. Something's going on here. I don't have time to hang cameras, but I'm just going to throw a stand up, right? So I threw the stand up, uh, go back to town that night, grab Mark and his dad, Stuart, bring them back to camp, and we're talking, and I'm telling them where they're going to be sitting tomorrow, all this stuff. Stuart's older, so he can't sit in the stand. He has to sit in the ground blind, which was fine. So we pull out in the morning, and... I'm literally parked on the highway. If I go straight, it'll go to the new spot that I set up the day before. And I'm like, damn, like, and Mark goes, what's up? And I said, I set up this spot yesterday, literally yesterday. And it has a lot of sign for giving the fresh snow. I said, but I don't have a clue what's there. And he's like, oh, man, it sounds promising. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, should I try it out? And I'm like, hell yeah. And he's like, okay. So I drove him in there and he had no cell service. So I was like, okay, well, I'll pick you up at dark. And he's like, yeah, fine by me. I take his dad out and drop his dad off. And I'm driving down the road, whatever, doing my thing. I'm going for like a coffee. It's like 10 o'clock or whatever. So I'm stopping at the gas station. I get this voicemail and I'm like, what the hell? So I check my voicemail and it's Mark going, Dom, come pick me up. And I'm like, how in the hell is he calling me? So I rip in there. Like I have to drive probably 40 minutes to get him. I rip in there, and he's standing out on the cut, and he's got this big ear-to-ear grin, and I'm like, what the hell? And this guy told me prior to the hunt that he wouldn't shoot anything under 160 inches because <clears throat> he's hunted Saskatchewan for years and Alberta many years ago, all this stuff. And I'm like, well, shit, he must have shot a big one. So I come up to him. I'm like, hey, Mark, like, what's up? And he goes, I shot a good one. And I'm like, well, it must be a good one. You told me you weren't going to shoot anything under 160 inches. And he's like, man, come check out this deer. So we walk up to this deer, and this is the one with the big body, right? So everything about it was just big. I remember looking at its body going, holy shit. And then I look at the horns, and I'm like, holy shit. Like, everything was big about it. So when we got that whole ordeal of it loaded up and tipping the quad on its end and everything... (laughs) We get it out to the truck, and he's like, I got to measure this deer, Dom. I got to measure this deer. And I'm like, whatever, man, you measure it. And this is just a personal thing. I don't measure deer. If the clients want to measure their deer, they could. So he puts a tape to his deer, and it's 172 inches. And I'm like, holy crap, Mark. Like, that's your biggest deer. And he goes, yeah. He says, you know what's the best part? You didn't even ask me the story. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like, so when did you kill it? And, like, I'm loading the quad and everything. And he's like, He's like, Dom, you dropped me off. I sat there for 15 minutes, and I shot it. <laughs> he says, I have, I have to walk three miles down the road to get cell service to make a call to you. He says, I only sat there for 15 minutes. And I'm like, what the hell? I said, I didn't know that. He goes, yeah. He says, and get this. He says, 
10 minutes of that wasn't even legal light, so I really only hunted for five minutes, he said. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, Holy shit. So, yeah, that was that was the very first deer I outfitted. It was 15-minute hunt. <laughs> Can't beat that. Yeah, That's right? good advertisement. Yeah, no. this guy only set the cold five minutes, people. <laughs> <laughs> it and wasn't even cold from the heater. Story. Oh, no, he wasn't even, he didn't even have a heater. That was back when I, I didn't even give a shit about my clients. Staying <laughs> warm, I'm like, okay, get out there and kill a big one. <laughs> I always tell guys. Sucker. I need story. these pictures. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I always talk about that story in deer camp now because we got, you know, of course, nice big stands that are enclosed and they got a carpet floor and a heater if they, if the hunter wants one. I said, man, back when I started, I literally bought the only tripods I could find at Cabela's. You couldn't even swivel around in the chair without hitting your knees on the edge. So basically, they call it a 360, but you'd probably only swivel 10 degrees. Uh, <laughs> and, and it was wide open. <laughs> Whatever it takes, man. That, you know, trusted trusted me right off the get-go. Like, they, I feel bad for them. But they, they all killed big deer, and that's what it took was, uh, you know, I was, whatever young and determined at the time still am but like i just wanted to i wanted to prove myself all these guys were booking with a young guy that was new in the industry and all that and yeah it sounds and, like you yeah, did just our, that our, man <laughs> <laughs> yeah so well uh go ahead and tell all our listeners where they can find you if they want to book a hunt with you um, where they can find you your social media and uh then we'll go ahead and wrap it up from there yeah, so I'm mainly I update a lot of Instagram, so that'd be it's listed under Dom Jackson, Alberta Darkhorn. Also Facebook, same same name, and uh, the website. Um, revamping here; it'll be ready in the next week or so, depending on how much work I put in on the computer. Um, but yeah, Alberta Darkhorn will be the the website name and the URL, so that's where you could find me. All right, man. Well, like I said, I appreciate you coming on. I know that anybody that books a hunt with you is going to have an absolute <laughs> blast just by talking to you for the short yeah. time that we've had. And uh, all the all the after hours stuff would be would be the fun time, I think, and the stories that you have to tell. Um, oh yeah, um, no, I appreciate you spending a little bit of a while. <laughs> little bit of time with us, telling us a few. Uh, like I said, we we have a legend series, and I'd really like you to come on and break down the story of that double drop time buck um in the near future and oh, get man. you on a legend series but uh we'll uh we're gonna sign off here like i said i appreciate you coming on man yeah no problem thanks a lot guys for having me all right i'm gonna wrap up this this episode here uh big shout out to morel targets um expanding their brand with the vip family so that's very cool there. Uh, Cody and I got a couple targets to try out and do a couple um, things for them, so we appreciate them. Uh, this episode was pretty awesome, man. I, if I if I can ever get up to Alberta, I'm gonna be like, hey, man, what, what's it cost? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like uh, this guy's got it going on. He knows how to put down world class. I mean, absolute giant deer. Those dark chocolate horns. A uh, mount like that would be incredible. Yeah. Um, their hunting style is a little crazy. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, make sure and uh, keep hitting that play button. We appreciate you. Um, try to leave a legacy, and White to Legacy's out. <laughs>